Hi everyone, this is Cassie. Just a little warning, up until episode 3 I was recording with Carly, but unfortunately Carly won't be returning, so I'm going to leave the episodes in there because they are brilliant episodes and I really did enjoy recording with Carly. My audio isn't the greatest, but it does get better, trust me. And after episode 6, there is going to be a rebrand. It goes from being wine and true crime to true crime trophy. I really hope this isn't too confusing for you all, and I really hope you stay listening. So for now, I'm going to chuff off and I'm going to let you listen to the podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Carly. And I'm Cassie. And welcome to our very first ever episode of Wine and True Crime. We are the transatlantic true crime podcast that are bringing you cases from both sides of the pond. Yes, we are so excited to tell you some of our favorite cases and maybe even cases that you haven't heard before. Um, I think it's only right that we start off by talking about how we met because it's super important considering we are so far away from each other. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't meet at the supermarket. No, we didn't, unfortunately, although someday (laughs) maybe. Um, Hopefully. Yeah. I started a Facebook group because my favorite Facebook group got deleted from Facebook, and I'm a talker, so I really wanted to talk with like-minded people like me and talk about some of these crazy cases that fascinate me from night to night. So I started this group and to my shock, I got like 300 members and Cassie was one of them. And we started talking about a couple cases, but Chris Watts obviously popped up. And Cassie- was very, very far down the rabbit hole. Oh my gosh, yes. She was like, I read these books. I watched these documentaries. I know, I'm like, oh my gosh, this girl is serious. Like she she (laughs) knows what she's talking about. And honestly, it was like a connection right from the start. We were both like fascinated (laughs) with the same stuff and the psychology behind everything. So yeah, we thought it was only necessary to start off our brand new podcast with Chris Watts. So that is my case that I will be talking about today. And I will be bringing you the lesser well-known case of John Darwin. So let's get into it. So let's dive straight into this rabbit hole that is Chris Watts. I am so excited for this one. I know you are. This is Kathy. (laughs) Absolute expert. So she's going to correct me if I say anything that's not in the book that she read. (laughs) (laughs) One day there may be a book come out, but until then, it's just hearsay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. So this story takes place in 2018 in... Frederick, Colorado, and it is centered around Chris Watts, his wife, Shanann Watts, their daughter, Bella, who's four years old, their daughter, Cece, who's three years old, and Shanann is actually at this time pregnant with their son, Nico. She's about 15 weeks pregnant. So from the outside, we see a lot of uh, Shanann because she works from home Um, And she is a marketing representative. So she posts a lot of her life online. I think she got like used to posting online. 
And because of that, we as the watchers or listeners, however you're listening to this case, we really feel like we get to know her. And she seems sweet and she loves her children. She loves her husband. She suffered from lupus and she posted about her battle, her ongoing constant battle with that. And we constantly get to know her and we see the pregnancy announcement and all of these things. So we really get familiar with her. And there comes a time when there is a work trip. And so she goes off on her work trip and Chris is home watching the kids. And at this point, you know, everything seems fine. But, you know, from the documentary that I watched on Netflix, which I'm sure a lot of people have seen, we see a lot of Nicole's texts to her friends where Chris is acting weird. Like he's not talking to her as much. He's acting like, you know, they're not sleeping together as much. So she's wondering like, you know, what's up? As if, you know, every wife would do because women know. We just know when something's not right. <laughs> We've got that good instinct. We absolutely do. <laughs> so as this is happening, um, she's texting her friends and when she comes home, we watched the documentary and it was like, my soul was like hurting for her because you can see it from the outside camera that's on their house. They show that in the documentary and you can see her walking into the house. And now knowing what we know, you want to reach back into that and tell her, please don't go into that house. Like, cause we know her fate. It's like a bad horror movie. You are screaming at the screen. It Please absolutely don't go is. in and she does and you know what happens and yeah. you can't help but feel for her. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. But unfortunately, she went into the house and it was really late. It was like one something in the morning and um, her friend Nicole had dropped her off. So she walks into the house and basically we come to find out that when she walked into the house, they had sex. And the next morning, her friend Nicole notices that she hasn't, that Shanann has not texted her about her pregnancy, um, her doctor's appointment, because she had a checkup in the morning. Which was very suspicious, seeing as Shanann didn't go anywhere without a phone and she was always texting people. Absolutely, because of her job and I guess her social media presence. And like a lot of us today, like I don't go anywhere without my phone. And well, it's a safety measure nowadays. It is. I mean, my mom's <laughs> tracking my location, like as we speak. So if I don't have my phone with me, like she's gonna call the police. So yeah, I get it. I would be, you know, I would have my phone too. And um, so she doesn't text her friend after her appointment. And I'm assuming because of their their friendship and how Nicole is familiar with her, she she knows that Shanam would have texted her or would have said something. So. Yeah, there were some definite red flags appearing for a friend, Nicole. Yes, and she, like a good friend, goes to Shanann's house and knocks on the door. Nobody answers. She sees the car. She knows that she should be home, but unfortunately she can't get into the house, obviously, because it's locked and that's like breaking and entering and that's like illegal. So she calls Chris and the police and they do a wellness check. They knock on the doors and the cops are like, hey, like we can't do anything like if there's no sign of, you know, whatever. So Chris gets home, he lets them in. They're looking through the house. Everything seems to be in order, except for the fact that there's no one in it. And her medication is still there. Her phone is still there. Her purse is still, like everything that she owns is still there. And Chris even makes it a point to 
say to the police, like, oh my gosh, these are the girls' blankies. Like, they don't go anywhere without these blankies. Wait. It's so frustrating because before um, the police actually got there, when Nicole phoned Chris at work, he actually told her, don't phone the police. He said that. See, I don't even know that. <laughs> yeah, he told her not to phone the police and Nicole ignored him. And that's why the police were there when he got home. See, if my friend's missing and someone tells me not to call the police, I'm like, what did you do? In my <laughs> mind, because that, like, what? If my friend's missing? I mean, then again, it had only been like, what? A couple hours, really? But still. Yeah. So they're searching the house and... I don't know if anyone, like in the documentary, I keep referring back to it because that's the only video I have in my mind of, the, of these moments. But have you seen the, the ghost videos of that where they say like- Oh, that, it, it just freaked me out. Uh, I'm like a big ghost person. Like I'm, I'm very <laughs> like, I totally believe in that kind of stuff, but- I'd love to go to a haunted house. Oh my gosh, me too. Stay over. Me too, me too. I, it's like my dream to meet a ghost, but like a nice ghost. I'm like a kind of a <laughs> sissy, so, but anyways. <laughs> So they, they say that, like there was ghosts in the house or, you know, whatever. So, but anyway, they're looking and um, he's, Chris, we find out is texting Shanann, like, where are you? You know, all these things. And we come to find out that he eventually goes in for questioning because, well, let me, let me go back. So they go to the neighbor's house because he has a security camera. And this was one of the most eerie parts to me because the neighbor who bless him because this was a, he was great in this they're looking at the security footage they see chris's truck backing out of the driveway in the morning that morning which is august 13th and they're like nothing's out of the ordinary you know they never left that house from the looks of this camera and chris is you know moving back and forth and acting strange and he is standing there talking to the cop and the neighbor and a commercial pops up. Cassie, do you want to say? This was so freaky. It was the American Horror Story advert and I can't remember the exact sequence. I know Carly thinks I'm an expert, <laughs> but I'm not an expert. It was something the about sequence. like the, the oil. It was like a skull yeah. coming out of the oil. Then there was a baby. And for some reason, this prompted Chris to then go, Oh, and she's pregnant. Yeah, like now, now, uh, oh yeah, from seeing this commercial, like I should probably mention that she's pregnant. Like, no shit. <laughs> like, like, you should have. That, that was like the eeriest yes. form of paranormal yes. saying, this guy did it. And you're going to tell me ghosts aren't real. Like, what, of all the commercials in the world to pop up at that exact second, that, you know, comes up. I just think it's eerie. Yeah. But so it prompts him to say she's pregnant and the cop, you know, who did a great job, writes it down, and Chris says, I'm gonna go, you know, do whatever, and he walks out. So then we see the cop talking to the neighbor, and the neighbor's like, look, he's not acting right, like something's up, and he's normally- This was so good. Yeah, it really- The neighbor It was needs an apology. Yeah, right, because this is someone that lives next door to them. Like, he knows their behavior, he's seen them, he's talked to them. Like, he knows what's typical, the cop does not. So. I think that's a really, really great for him to step up and say that because I'm sure they were friends to some extent and that's probably hard. Well, he didn't have to. Right. He could have stayed quiet. He could have played ignorant. Yeah, he definitely could have. I know a lot of people probably out of fear or respect for the person they know would have been like just silent because they don't want to condemn someone if they don't know what happened. 
But this guy stood up and said, he's not acting right. Something's wrong. He raised the red flag. So props to him. And the cop, you know, says, as he should, like, well, you never know how someone's going to act in this situation. So try not to, you know, be too suspicious. And that makes sense, too, because we know that, like, we don't know how people are going to act in these moments. Yeah. But still, he noted it. And so after that, Chris is brought in for questioning, which everyone knows the spouse is always like considered like not I want to say suspect, but person of interest kind of in the back of everyone's mind because Yeah. Usually you gotta reel them out. Right. And they're like, you know, would she have left with the kids? And he's like, No, like we have a great marriage, like everything's fine. I don't even know like where she could be. This is not like her. And he agrees to take a lie detector test uh fails obviously and the investigators are kind of like okay like you failed this um what (laughs) is there anything you need to say and he kind of breaks down and they got him to break down because there was a very special caller that called in by the name of nicole not the friend nicole but the girlfriend nicole and that's because he was having an affair with a yoga instructor named Nicole. And she called in and said like, hey, like, this is who I am. I'm <laughs> I'm his girlfriend, like we met at work and I knew he was, you know, married, but he says they were in the process of a divorce or, you know, this and that and all these things we always hear. He's like, but or she said, but I, I really think that something's up because, you know, it's just strange. and. When they found out that he had was having an affair after he said to their faces that he was not having an affair, he's never cheated on his wife. They were like, okay, he lied about that to our faces. What else is he lying about? So that raised major red flags. And it also kind of makes sense because Chris had recently lost a lot of weight. He suddenly developed this kind of more confident, personality i guess you can say yeah he he seemed to be getting a lot more attention of the women that he hadn't really had before and he he seemed to be enjoying that very much so enough to get a girlfriend and all of these awful things so he lost a lot of weight and had a girlfriend and you know it's kind of like he's living this double life at this point so when the cops find out that he has a girlfriend he recently lost a lot of weight not that the weight loss can make you a murderer but it all, all these tiny pieces add up and they kind of get an idea of like something's not right. And so after he fails the lie detector test, Chris ultimately says like, I need to talk to my dad. Like, can I please talk to my dad? So they bring his father in and he confesses kind of to his father. And the reason I say kind of is because he puts Shanann at blame for the death of their daughters. Which is very suspicious because when he was actually doing the lie detector test, the female police officer was put in situations to him to see if he would bite. And one of them was, did Shanann hurt That's right, that's right. She did say that, yeah. And I remember when I was watching that, I was kind of, uh, to to be honest, I was, I didn't like that method because to me, it almost was like they were planting that idea in his head. Could that yeah. be the reason that he came up with this? Was he going to be really honest when he confessed? Or 
did he suddenly, was he like, oh my God, the cops believe this, like, I'll go with it, you know? One thing that you will find again and again, no matter which narrative you go down, is Chris had a nice guy persona. He was obsessed with people assuming he was a nice guy and he did not want that tarnished. And when she gave him that situation, it was the only one that he could use to come out with that he was acting in defense of his daughters. No one would really blame a man for hurting the wife that had killed his children. Right. And it was a way for him to keep this nice guy persona, which obviously we all know was absolute BS. Yeah. Yeah. It was a way out for him. It was. And I guess when she staged it the way that she did, he was like, okay, they'll believe this because it's coming from her mouth, you know? And that's why I think myself, and I'm sure other people are like, why would she say that that way? But I guess it was a method that's like beyond my, <laughs> I'm not an investigator. So what do I know? But to me, although if there are any investigators out there that would like to explain yeah. to us methods, we'll happily Give listen. us a call. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he confesses partially to his father, blaming Shanann for the death of their daughters. And after that, the investigators come in and they're like, and, and to me, I thought it was really funny. Not fu not funny, but like the way he whispered it, like, do you really think they can't hear you? Yeah. You, you mean yeah you're they are recording like, you. Dad, I like did this. And I'm sitting there like, they can hear you. You don't, <laughs> you know, like what, <laughs> whatever. So he's, he's, his whispered confession to his dad prompts the investigators to come in and start questioning him, you know, like, okay, like what happened? And he's like, well, we got into an argument because she found out about my affair because I used our joint bank account to pay for our dinner. And was this during the emotional discussion? Yeah, yeah, that's that right. Heard again that's right. Again. It wasn't an argument. <laughs> it was an emotional discussion. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they already confirmed that they did go to dinner, uh, Chris and his girlfriend, because the girlfriend had told them so. And she even named the restaurant. And, you know, so he had used their joint bank account. Shanann had seen this. And she even looked up the menu, which may sound crazy to some, but I say, go you, because I would do the same thing. Like, uh, <laughs> to be honest, she was feeling very gaslighted. Yeah. She knew something was up. She was very, very vulnerable. You know, she had lupus. She had two young children. She was yeah. pregnant. And she knew something was up. And every time she asked him, because his behavior had drastically changed, he kept telling her nothing. There's nothing going on. Everything's fine. You're the one being crazy. And then for him to blatantly take his girlfriend out and spend on their card. Yeah. For then her to have a look and be like well your bill does not add up to that amount she was looking for proof right and if anyone doesn't know the definition of gaslighting this is it like this is the ultimate gaslighter because she was right all along and her gut was right and he was doing this behind her back so at this point yeah it was blatant and i think that for him was his kind of last straw like i'm not even trying to hide this anymore you know and I think it was a sign of what was to come. But so eventually the investigators are like, okay, 
where are they? Going off of this confession, which I feel like in the back of their minds, they knew it was bullshit. Like, Shanann wouldn't kill her daughters. Uh, so he tells, they bring out a picture of the oil work site where Chris works, which is an hour from their house, because he told them that they're, they're there. Also, I think it's important to note that the cops eventually tracked his car GPS that morning going to work. So they knew he didn't go anywhere else along this route. And they said, okay, like, where are where are their bodies? And he points off to, and he's like, I think he said something like, when was this taken? And they were like, today. <laughs> and to me, to me, I'm like, they're, they're serious. You know, like, this is urgent. Yeah. Like we took this today, like answer the question. And he points to where Shanann was in a field, in the middle of the field. And then he points to the oil tanks where he put his daughter's bodies I in. I wish I put a trigger warning here because whether you are yeah. or not, from here on in, the details are so hard hitting. They are. Yeah. Trigger warning for sure. Um, I bawled my eyes out the first time and definitely gave me some anxiety listening to this, knowing this exists in the world. So for all those who this would um, affect too much, stop listening. Um, but he ultimately says at this time that she killed them and he killed her because he was so angry. And so he drives the bodies to the field because he didn't know what to do. He was in shock, etc. And he didn't know what to do with the bodies and he shoved them into the oil tank. This is what he says. So this is obviously a lie. Shanann did not kill the girls. And it comes out that he was having an emotional discussion, as he calls it, with Shanann, where she was questioning him on the affair. And he says he came clean and says he wanted a divorce. And she said, you'll never see the girls again. And she threatened to hold his children basically over him and say like, if you want your children in your life, then you, you, you can't do this. And ultimately he snapped and he strangled her. And he says in the interview, in one of the interviews that she didn't fight back, but as we learn later from her father, uh, he's like, no, that definitely isn't like my daughter. But so he kills her. One of the girls walks into the room and says, like, what's wrong with mommy? And he says something along the lines of, mommy doesn't feel well. We're going to take her to the hospital. Let's get in the truck. There is also reports that prior to Shanann coming home, he tucked the girls into bed, walked out and thought, this is the last time I will have to do this. And that he tried to kill the children before Shanann, but he didn't. And he was shocked when they walked into the room. And the only thing he was thinking was, I'm going to have to kill them again. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Yeah. The, I've, going into this rabbit hole, it's fascinating to a point that you try and look for a reason. But on the other hand, yeah. you're reading things that he's telling people, you know, some people have documented it, some are what people have assumed. I don't know, we will never know unless Chris tells it from his own lips. But there is reason to believe that he had tried to suffocate the girls before and hadn't done it thoroughly. 
and they woke up because he mentioned that they had bruises under their eyes and as a mother myself my heart breaks I can't imagine the fear that these children are going through when they were so excited because mummy was coming home yeah yeah because you have to think at that point they haven't they hadn't seen her you know in a bit so yeah it's heartbreaking uh to think that their fate you know was up to this person their father that they trusted and the song so much that yeah anybody that watches the documentary when you hear that song i it defies anybody to not ball up and want to cry oh yeah i shed so many tears and i grew angry because i was looking at these beautiful girls who absolutely adored their daddy the one person that they should be looking up to and who should be setting the example of what a man is what how a man should treat them and he annihilated them he did yeah he did he he in my mind is evil in person form one of those um now i don't even want to tell the rest because it's just so bad (laughs) uh uh, so he i guess now with that new information i didn't know he had already tried to kill him that's absolutely horrible because later we find out that after he killed shanann and put her body in his truck he had a moment where he thought i have an hour to drive to this place you know am i can I go back now? Like, I, he thought to himself, I have a whole hour to change my mind. And he still didn't. But I think that also was bullshit. See, didn't because... he also say that he was acting in rage? Yes. See, how can you be in a cloud of rage for an hour? That's not rage. That's planning. Yeah. Yeah. He drove his dead wife in the back seat of his truck and his two daughters. Dead pregnant wife, actually and his two daughters who were alive at this point. And they brought their blankies that he mentioned earlier when the cops were searching the house, which I found eerie as hell because he knew what he did with those blankies and he still brought them up. But anyway, he eventually after an hour drive gets to the oil site, puts Shanann's body in this field. And at this point, his daughters are still alive. And he kills Cece first, the youngest one. Uh, he smothers her with her blankie and he shoves her body into the oil tank. Which and these hatches are not big at all. Yeah. He has to take them up a flight of stairs, open up this hatch, which is smaller than they are, and he has to push them down. Yeah. I'm shaking right now because I I am so filled with emotion at this because any child does not deserve how they was treated. I agree. It's, it's so crushing to, to think about, I mean, especially this part, how Bella, who was four years old, 
just watched her father murder her younger sister and said, you know, Daddy, are you going to do to me what you just did to Cece? And he didn't answer her. Or he can't remember if he answered her. Yeah. He just took the blanket and smothered her. Did the same thing and shoved her four-year-old body into the same tiny oil tank. And it's revolting. It's horrible. I personally can't fathom it, right? Like Another disgusting fact that isn't as well known is that during the ride out there, it's reported one of the children said, Daddy, it smells. And when he got to the oil field, he'd dug a hole for Shanann, took her out, just tossed her in there. And at that point, she'd aborted Nico. He saw his unborn child out of the womb and didn't feel anything. It's, I, like, my brain doesn't understand. Like, I I can't imagine how someone can do something like that. He was the one that wanted another child. Shanann said this on her social media, was that he kept pushing to have another child. For a son. And for a son specifically. Yeah, and she was giving it to him. But the reason he didn't end up wanting Nico will probably come up to in a bit because I've got a ton of theories regarding that. Right, me too. Yeah, it, so after this all comes out, and I, and I believe it was once he was already in prison that the real truth comes out, yeah. where the investigators say, like, do you really want to blame this horrific act? And then it comes down to the point of, okay, let's pretend Shanann did murder these innocent children. Why would you, sh- like, shove their bodies into an oil tank if she killed them? Like, if, if my spouse, which I don't have, by the way... <laughs> If my spouse murdered my children, the first thing I'm doing is calling the police. I, the last thing I'm doing is taking my children, my dead children, and shoving their bodies into an oil tank. I mean, it, it doesn't, it's incomprehensible. He, it doesn't make sense. The lie is stupid. He worked with oil. So anybody working with oil knows how corrosive it is to skin. Oh. And again, massive trigger warning. The recovery team that had to go out there to drain these tanks into special baths so that they could collect evidence that had to take these children out of the oil. They'd only been in there for a couple of hours. It had already started to corrode their skin. They had to deal with that. They had to help these children out of these tanks, trying not to stop their skin from coming away. I, it, to me, it's even worse because he works there. Right? Yeah. Like he knows this. Like I wouldn't know something like that. But he works there. You know what's going to happen. It, but really, it doesn't matter because he killed them. You know, it's like you are already an awful person in my book. This of case course you don't care. It's so far-reaching because the recovery team have now suffered from PTSD from what they saw. None of them expected to have to go into an oil tank to recover children. Wow. I would be the same. 
I, I, how do you recover from something like that? That's something you, you never imagine in a million years your job would lead you to do. Because you it, can't think that someone's capable of something like that. No, it stops the families from being able to give the children their last kiss because oh. they had to be in sealed coffins. So it stopped the family from getting closure. It's just barbaric. It is. I can't think of another crime. There's a ton of horrible crimes, don't get me wrong. I've never heard of one this barbaric. Agreed. I totally agree. Uh, well, the sentencing makes me feel a little better. Yeah. That's my next uh, point. Um, on August 21st, 2018, Chris was charged with five counts of first-degree murder. Life in prison without the possibility of parole was sentenced on November 19th, 2018. He's serving five consecutive life sentences. Interestingly enough, Shanann's family decided not to pursue the death penalty. Which... All I can say is massive, well done to the family for having mercy because as much as I hope I am a good person, if anybody harmed my children or harmed a loved one, I don't know if I could be that merciful. I know I couldn't be that merciful. I would vote for death penalty and I would stand there and tape my eyes open and watch the entire thing. I don't care if that sounds evil. If someone did this to my family, I, absolutely I would vote for the death penalty. And I, <laughs> that sounds awful when I say it, but it's the truth. This is horrific. See, this is with horrific. death penalty, I know this is a very hot topic. It is. Um, I do get, I mean, it's abolished in the UK. We do not have it over here. Some people are appealing to bring it back. To me, if you can prove once and for all that that person is without a shadow of a doubt responsible and they planned it and it was so barbaric, then yeah, they do deserve to die. I think the death penalty, the reason why it's so much of a hot topic is because of the investigation of the perpetrator. If it's not 100%, well, you can't make someone die for that. I also hear quite frequently that people are like, I don't believe in the death penalty because we can't play God. And I, and I get that, right? Like, who are we to say, even no matter how horrific a crime is that someone commits, who are we to say that they should die for it? Well, but, I... <laughs> but then again, you constantly hear about prisoners having human rights what about the human rights of the victim? Right, like you took those away. Exactly. And, and and this is one of, if not the most horrific crimes in the world. And if anybody, just props to Shanann's family. You know, yeah. I, I, I just, there's people so much better than me that walk this earth that I hear about all the time from these things. I have so much respect for her. So family. do I. And and then on the, you hear they were like mocked and ridiculed and that's getting no. into, you know, from, well, because not ridiculed, but they were saying like, well, Shanann was a bitch. That's one of the things I heard. They were calling oh, her see, a bitch. They said awful. she was controlling. And I'm like, you were victim shaming. How many of you wives out there can be bitches sometimes? Everyone can be. 
Does that mean uh, you should, this is your fee? This should be your fee? If it's that time of the month, I want exactly. my hands up. Yeah. I might not be the nicest person. All I can say is none of us are perfect. Shanann wasn't perfect. And because she is a victim, that doesn't mean that we can label her as an angel, you know, perfect wife, perfect mother. She was human. She was going to make mistakes. She lived her life through her social media, but she was also so into her children. She loved her children. Yeah, she did. The only big mistake she made was falling in love with a monster. And how? She came into her life at her weakest point. Yeah. And of course, how was she to know, right? Like, where were the signs? There was none at that point. Exactly. There was none, which is to me the scariest part. Like, as a single woman, I am terrified when I read this kind of stuff and I think someone can be perfect to me, which is what he was to her. Yeah. And they could, like, who would have ever guessed? I feel like, and this is a personal thought, like, when I watch this stuff, imagine if Shanann could somehow come back to life for a second and watch what has occurred. Like, she would have been absolutely shocked. I think to her, the most, like, crazy thing that could have happened was divorce, you know? And no one could ever imagine that someone is capable of this. Which I read an interesting quote from Chris. In February 2019, while he was in prison, there was an interview. And he said he was remorseful and has found God. And I'm crazy (laughs) with anger at this point because I don't care what you do to get through your life in prison. Right. As long as you are staying in there and you are serving your sentence for the barbaric crime that you did, do whatever you need to. Don't get in touch with the media. Don't. start saying I'm a man of God and I want to get out and I want to serve God no you are not getting out of prison yeah I I totally agree and I actually think this is a good time to like bring up my point of this case I think it's important with these big crimes and these horrific extra horrific crimes it's important that we talk about the reason we talk about these and the reason is not to draw attention to the killer because That is the last thing I want. The last thing I want is some man out there to hear all the attention about Chris Watts and think, I'm going to be the next Chris Watts. You know, like those imitation killers. That's not why we talk about this. One one of the reasons, there's actually two reasons in my book that we talk about this. One being utter disbelief, disgust. You know, we we as normal human beings think about how is one capable of this? And I who's I'm interested in psychology. I want to understand the human brain. I want to understand how someone can be capable of murdering the people closest in their lives that share their DNA. I want to understand it. And number two, I want to bring, we want to bring awareness to men like this. There were signs toward the end. There were signs. Not just men, that there are women out there as well. Anybody in a relationship who has this gut feeling that something is not right, you are more than welcome to say, I need to take a step back. Yeah. Take that step back. If it turns out that they was planning a surprise party for you, then great, you know. But they was acting different to how they normally are and it raised your gut. 
listen to your gut people always it's never never wrong never wrong and it's also important to mention that we mentioned earlier chris was one of those guys that he always wants to play mr nice guy he always wants to have that reputation he wants to look good he wants to sound good to people he wants everything to be picture perfect and i don't think a divorce was in that image for him no so he murdered his family because he wanted to make it i'm sure look like they were missing and then he was classed from i mean i'm not a professional psychologist i would love to be but i'm not but from reports that i have read he was classed as a social narcissist which is they will do things for other people, which other people will think, oh, what a lovely guy, helping people out. Yeah. It's not. It's so that you think better of him. It's a selfish act. Yeah, feel bad for me. And my family went missing. Be happy when I get remarried to my mistress. You know. Exactly. Apparently, he was planning to, if he'd have had time, if Nicole, her friend, which props to you. Mm-hmm. We love Nicole, the friend. <laughs> the friend. Let's clarify. I, I've got something to say about I know, Nicole, I can't wait. Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if she hadn't have come in on to, like, straight away with the police, it's thought that he was going to drive Shannon's car and make it look like Shannon disappeared with the children. So then that would have left him free and clear to get with the mistress. Let's dive right into the mistress, please. Oh, are you ready? <laughs> I, I am so ready I've because the, this is one of those topics in this case where I'm like, I just don't buy it. It's one of those lies. First off to me, she shouldn't have been able to get away from the investigation as quickly as she did. There was one interview that we saw on the documentary and there's nothing else said that she was brought in again. But yet so many questions were highlighted. She said she didn't know Shannon was pregnant, but searches on her home computer showed she was looking at her profile. She said she didn't know where Chris lived, but yet her Shannon and Chris's address was on her home computer. She said she had no idea that they weren't separated. You worked with him, yeah. you know, and you was looking at his profile. You went to his house, you saw the pictures of the kids. She said she tried to back away. Well, it didn't take long for him to pull her back in, you know, and I know there's some men that have that magnetism. To be honest, I'm glad I've never come across one because I would probably be sick. Yeah. But she one of the things that i read that raised massive red flags to me and i couldn't understand why police hadn't come up with it apparently her phone pinged at 6 a.m the morning that chris went to work with the bodies in the area of shanann and chris's home which is not on her way to work it's not in her home location. She had no reason to be there. Brit pinged at 6am. Yeah, but she doesn't Another know where thing, they live, right? <laughs> oh, exactly. 
And then another thing that corresponds, which makes me think this could have been the work of her as well as him. From what we've heard, Shanann was strangled face down on the mattress. And there are reports saying that after he had strangled her, Shanann's bowels had loosened, which anybody that's had an unfortunate case of the trots, shall we What's say? That? <laughs> Just kidding. That's one of them. Yeah, let's I just wanted to make you say it. Go ahead. I'll talk about a lot of things, but that, oh. oh. If you get that on the bed, that's going to create a massive stink yeah. and a massive mess. But yet, when the police went in with Chris, there was no bedding and the mattress was clean. Mm. And there was a bag of NK's clothing found in the house that I saw from the documentary. There is also a video on YouTube of the extended body cam footage from when they searched the home. And people have highlighted this bag of clothing that was NK's. Well, why was that there? Right. Especially when she says to the cops that she doesn't know where he lives. Like, these are the things as a cop, I, like, I consider cops to have so much better intuition than me and, like, knowledge than me, especially with liars. And I want to know, like, was there some thing signed to where because she came forward, she's immune to... Exempt. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is shady to me. And if it raises red flags to me, I'm sure it raised red flags to cops and... I want to know why and I feel like the public deserves to know why and I think the cops should set that standard like just because you're the mistress and you come forward doesn't mean you can contribute to a murder and get away with it no if you I, I do urge anybody that is interested in this case to search for this extended body cam because the police officer that I want to say props to this guy as well because as well as being empathetic, uh, empathetic to Chris in front of the neighbour, he was also very keen on when he goes searching around the house, he is spotting things like a blue surgical glove mm -hmm. on the floor of the master bedroom. To me, a blue surgical glove does not belong in the master bedroom of a crime scene. Yeah. You know, and apparently there's one of the kids' blankets tossed in the corner of the room. That's yeah. there's just a lot of things that get picked up on in this footage. Yeah. And the last that anybody heard from Nicole was that she changed her identity and moved out the area. So she's got away with it scot free. I don't like it. I don't like it because it feels like there's missing pieces. I, I, yeah, but I feel like the main person was caught and that feels like that was it, done for everybody. Yes, but how much did she contribute? If she didn't exist, okay, that's not fair to say because he could have done this totally on his own, right? Like, she could be totally yeah. innocent, but based off of what it sounds like her lies so far, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't add up, you know? Like, who is she to say, how does she know that just because she meets a married man, he's going to murder his family? She could have not said anything, but what if 
say we had we, we tell people listen to your gut my gut is saying there's something else here something yep. that just hasn't been said yet it may never get said but the reason me and Carly want to do this is we feel that true crime lovers are people that feel so hugely for the victims and want to know or it was what made that person tick what made them flip over to the dark side and hurt people so that maybe we can stop it happening in the future we know that's never going to happen you can't guess that but we feel like the people that care so much about people that they didn't even know these are people that are going to push investigations to get the right answers absolutely i think i'm so glad you brought this up because this is critical like this is our mission for this whole podcast i've met so many unbelievable people through my passion of true crime and understanding it and every single one of them are empathetic empathy is to us at least to me the leading driver of my life like i feel deeply for everyone that i meet i feel things around me emotions very deeply and when i hear these cases i feel so badly for these people it doesn't matter age race gender i don't care i literally feel my heart ripping out of my chest when i watch these things and i don't care if if to some people that sounds dramatic this is who i am i feel it deeply and i want to stop it we want to stop it we want to bring awareness to these red flags right like yes chris watts lost weight yes all these things but if you're noticing these things and you're hearing your gut listen to it and if we can as a empathetic community come together and talk about these cases and just raise women's men's everyone's awareness on things like this care about each other feel feel what you feel for each other trust your gut it's important it matters it contributes to society another point i want to make is i was reading an article by someone who has been like classed as a psychopath she doesn't have empathy she has a disorder where she can't understand what people are thinking or feeling and she doesn't really care but she's not dangerous and this is where the term psychopath does need to be used carefully psychopath isn't it's normally used for an evil person and it's not it's someone who doesn't understand empathy there are functioning psychopaths the ones that can be in society and they can talk to people and they can understand this about themselves and try to make themselves as useful in society as they can but then there's others that use this lack of empathy to do what they want regardless of who it hurts yeah i think chris watts is the best example of a family annihilator that displays total lack of empathy and yeah can blend in he is the ultimate chameleon he is mr nice guy he is all the things that society wants him to be right a doting father a wonderful father a great husband 
but deep down inside he was none of these things and we see that in the end and that that's such a good point like a psychopath isn't running around the streets naked with their hands flailing in the air going crazy a psychopath can be your next door neighbor that acts totally normal because well this article she stated that from a young age they understand that they are different they understand whereas most children learn right and wrong they learn empathy these children understand that they just don't understand this and they will become a chameleon they will look for clues so that they can give people what they need without actually feeling it and Chris was a prime example of this he did this throughout his childhood and it's shown when he was dating Mm -hmm. Nicole he would actually write her letters and cards and instead of writing how he felt he would use music lyrics that was nearest and there was actually a Google search found how does it feel when you fall in love wow this man had no sense of feeling he didn't know emotion he didn't know how it feels to love somebody and because of that he went from being over the top with emotion to shenan Mm -hmm. to when he no longer needed her he turned it off like a switch and it was at that point shenan felt it shenan Mm -hmm. saw it and she couldn't understand how this could happen yeah it's that's so sad to me that there's people walking this earth i mean and then again this is my empathy talking right like it's sad to me that people can't experience genuine emotion and and if that presence of genuine emotion was there there's no way on this earth they'd be capable of doing the things that these people do and that's not to say that anybody that has a lack of empathy is a bad person they are not they could be your best friend they just don't know how to Deal and again, it's something. not their choice. They were born the way they are. No. But I... Which then goes exactly. into Exactly. Oh, God, nature. I could talk about that for hours, but... I, <laughs> yeah, I can do this like an entire three-hour <laughs> special. I'm sure everyone's dying to hear. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I wouldn't mind it. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, if someone is born that way, this is not a knock on them. I think society is responsible for identifying the differences and figuring out what can help Give this person help. like that's where the people with empathy can step in like let's look out for each other i mean bottom line like if someone can't look out for another person that doesn't make them a bad person it means they need help so help them talk <laughs> talk to people whether you can feel empathy or whether you can't find people that you can talk to if chris could have gone and said i can't yeah. feel maybe he could have got help and maybe that could have stopped him from annihilating his family. I totally agree. It's a sad story, but it's a necessary story. It's one that we feel like because there was so much hype about it, we didn't want, we were like, should we talk about it? Should we not talk about it? But you know what? This is what brought us together because we think it's important. It's a topic that matters and we are so excited that you guys listen to it. So 
with that, we're going to go on to our next case. Are you ready for a bit more of a light-hearted case? I'm so ready. Oh, good. So my case today is about John and Anne Darwin. They lived in County Durham and from getting married in 1973, over the next two decades, they welcomed two sons. They had a few different careers. I mean, John went from being a teacher to a banker at Barclays to then a police officer, which to me, I don't know about you, Carly, but they're very different careers. Yeah, a little bit of a mind change, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so as well as working, they built up a property rental business and they had in 2000, they'd already had 12 properties that they rented out and they earned quite, you know, a good wage from that. But after the boys had grown and moved into their own homes, they decided to buy an additional two. Unfortunately, around about the same time, they lost money on the stock market and debt started to mount up. So skipping forward to the 21st of March 2002, John finished his night shift at the prison and returned to their family home in Seaton, Carew. According to some reports, there's four calls made between the family home and the medical centre where Anne worked as a receptionist. And around 4.30pm, John takes his red kayak down to the beach in front of his home and he starts paddling out to sea. Now, this all sounds quite normal. I think you'd agree. Mm -hmm. So far. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know that there's something going to happen? Hmm, just a suspicion. <laughs> so Anne arrives home around 9pm because she's been shopping after work. And as she walks in the door, the phone is ringing. And when she answers, it's John's colleagues from the prison asking why he hadn't turned up for his shift. So at 9.30pm, Anne makes a missing person report and this sparks a 62 square foot search of the coastline. A double-ended paddle was found the next day and the wreckage of the red kayak was found six weeks later. Don't know about you, but this is just not sounding good. Not at all. While the search is going on, Anne calls both of the sons and informs them that their father has disappeared. As the search died down, the people involved wondered how John could have got into trouble when the North Sea had been unusually calm that day. That's odd. Yeah. Anne also told police that while John was a competent canoeist, he had never perfected his escape manoeuvre, which is a red flag to me. If I'm going to go out to sea, I want to make sure I've got my escape manoeuvre down perfectly. Well, I wouldn't go out to sea, but yeah, if I, <laughs> if I did, which I wouldn't, but if I did, yes, I would too. I'm not the adventurous type. Me either. <laughs> If I'm being forced to do something like that, I need to know I'm, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Another thing that she said, which strikes 
another red flag in my opinion. She adds, she had no reason to think he would have left and stage managed this. What? Hmm. Why would that even come up? That's not, <laughs> that's not even something I would even think about. Exactly. So, three weeks after John's disappearance, Anne approached Hartlepool's coroner's office to discuss declaring John dead. Now, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK, it's typically seven years before a missing person is declared dead. Mm, I don't even know. I don't even know what it is here in the US. I guess I should, should know that one. Well, in this case, John was declared dead after only a few months. Wow. Uh, she used the certificate uh, of his death to claim, get this, £25,000 life insurance, £25,000 teacher's pension, £58,000 prison service pension, £4,000 from payouts from the Department of Work and Pensions, and a £137,000 mortgage insurance policy. Wow. This equated to £249,000 or $346,608. I love that you included that. I'm Googling it as we speak. <laughs> I, I thought I'd include everyone here. <laughs> wow. Um, here's another red flag for you, Carly, just for you. <laughs> It's later found out that Anne would have also cashed in a fatal accident insurance policy that they had taken out just four months before John went missing. How convenient is that? Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. <laughs> so things are ramping up, getting a little bit unusual. So after having a memorial service for John with their sons, and starts spending more and more time abroad, eventually settling in Panama. She'd fly back to the UK to finish up working and sell rental properties before she'd transfer the money abroad and buying properties there. She set up a property business called Jaguar Properties to handle the money and the properties over there. And as she told her sons, this was so they could avoid the inheritance tax in the UK. Wow. Five years later, on the 1st of December 2007, a man walked into the West End Central Police Station and claimed he was John Darwin and he was suffering from amnesia. He was reunited with his overjoyed sons, Mark and Anthony, and went to stay at Anthony's house while Anne made plans to return to the UK. Wow. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Four days later, after John's made his miraculous reappearance, the Daily Mirror published a photo on the front of their newspaper showing a smiling John and Anne in Panama, taken in 2006. Wow. John was arrested at his son's house a few hours later and Anne was arrested as she arrived at Manchester Airport. John was charged with obtaining life insurance money by deception and making untrue statements to obtain a passport and was detained in connection with allegations of fraud. And that's only the basic 
part of the case. Wow. Can we just talk about the guts of these people? Yeah. So what I want to know is where was he this whole time? (laughs) Well, it turns out as the investigation went on that the night he disappeared, he had met his wife at Northgare and she drove him to Durham Railway Station. After the search died down and his sons had returned home, John returned to the family home and hid in the family, well, in the property next to the family home. And get this, they even had a secret door. So if she had any unexpected visitors, even their sons, he could slip back unseen into the property. Wow. Okay, these people, to me, what this sounds like is they are valuing money over their children's happiness, which is just fantastic. That's sarcasm. I know we've just spoken about a family annihilation, but this is another type of family annihilator. They disregarded their sons. Yeah, and like no one died, but that doesn't mean they didn't annihilate an entire family. Their poor sons thought that their father died. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's horrible. Like, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine if my child lost a parent, it's traumatic. Like, I would never want to put my kids through that. Imagine them going to their mom's house, talking about their father disappearing, talking about him dying. Yeah, all those moments of crying and readjusting to life. And this whole time he's right next door. He's right next door. He could possibly hear them. She's there encouraging encouraging them to believe he was dead, knowing he's right next door. Did they ever say who was like, (laughs) the mastermind behind this plan? During the trial, Anne tried to make it seem like John forced her to go along with it. But because they had a look at all the emails and things like that, it was proven that they had a very happy, healthy marriage. So she was labeled a compulsive liar. Wow. So we think the sole reason for this was they wanted to get out of debt. They wanted a life abroad. They didn't care if they didn't bring the kids with them. See that to me, like this is gonna sound really messed up, but I'm shocked with this type of behavior and lack of like empathy for their children that they didn't physically annihilate them. If that makes sense. Like you're willing to put your kids through this to me is almost like a precursor to doing something horrific because any any you know non-psychotic person wouldn't do this they just wouldn't no it's the fact that i mean they had a memorial service for him you know it was all over the papers people were sending their condolences she's accepting all this knowing it's okay. I still get to see my husband. Wow. It's, looking at the two cases, you wouldn't ever think that the two cases we're discussing tonight 
would be similar. Yeah. But they are. Yeah. Like at the surface, they don't sound it, right? Because you can look at one case and think this is a brutal attack on an innocent family. But in the other, you can see it's it's still an attack. It's just no one's dead, but they annihilated their families. I think this is something like, so in one case, it's for money. In the other case, it's for love. And, or what, you know, he, I'm guessing, assumes is love. Because, like we said, Chris has absolutely no concept of emotion. But no. I think it's important to bring to light that there's different drivers of crimes. Yeah. And this is still just as, I don't want to say just as horrific because at least they didn't kill those poor kids. <laughs> but at the same time, they're still their children and... You, you know, we we can't, don't do that to your, don't make them more an apparent that <laughs> is actually right next door. That's, that's awful. I mean, I get as a parent, especially when kids are small, you don't get much time to be with your partner. I understand that bit. I understand craving time with your partner because you have no other identity apart from mum. Mm-hmm. She didn't have that excuse. Her boys were grown. Her boys had moved out. They had their own lives. But she shut them out further. She separated them from their father. He did it willingly, just so that they could move abroad and have a life without them. Interestingly, I mean, I wonder if, like, in the beginning, you were talking about how he kept changing careers. I wonder if in his mind, this is just another career, a con artist. You know, like, this is an extension of that. I think he he was a person that got bored very, very quickly. Yes. And wanted something. The grass was always greener elsewhere. Yeah. I I mean, I think a lot of people, like, probably feel that way with their job, but they don't act on it. (laughs) And if if they want to change a job they change their job. They're not going to fake a death and, you know, collect life insurance and and ruin their son's lot. I mean, ultimately that's what they did. It's like, that again is yeah. going back to that lack of empathy. Like, did that mother hold her children while they cried knowing that their father was right next door yeah. and not blink an eye? I don't know about you. Yeah. I could not, I'm not capable of it. And I know no. most people are not. Don't know about you, Carly, but I feel even telling the smallest white lie, I would fail a lie detector test abysmally. I would fail a lie detector test if I was telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not even joking. I shake naturally. Like, I'm an anxious yeah. person. My heart goes crazy for I mean, no reason. I'm so, going yeah. to admit this to our listeners. I've been shaking throughout this entire thing <laughs> because I've been so nervous. But um, I'm stating facts. Yeah, I've not been shaking because I'm on my second glass of wine. <laughs> Maybe that's where I need to get one. <laughs> yeah, we're struggling a little bit with the time difference because, like, she's five hours ahead of me, so she's later and I'm earlier, so I can't. I'm like, I'm like right after work and I'm like, I'll take a glass of wine. So I'm not shaking. And she's like, I'm well, going to go to bed after this. <laughs> also on that point, I have just got my voice back. So I have been on the honey and water. Oh, yeah. But next time I'm on the wine. <laughs> yes. Next time. Well, we need to rest at this time. 
to my point, it's the fact that she could convincingly tell her children, your dad is dead, and say it so convincingly that they believed it, and she never backed, she never backed down from this. Yeah. It's sad. Like, that's their mother. They should trust her. They should be able to trust her beyond any trust in their life. Like, to me, my mom, you know, she is my ultimate rock. And if my mom looked me in the eye and said to me, your dad died, I would believe her with everything in my being. And that would rock my world. So this... This is one thing that I fully believe in as a mother. You are not just a parent of a child. You are a role model for the person that they are going to turn into. You are supposed to help this child grow and be able to function in society once they are fully grown. Yeah, I totally agree. That child is fully dependent on you at the start. They rely on you to show them the way. They put more than faith and trust into you. And when that is shattered, I can't imagine what that does to your mental health. Did they ever mention like what happened to the boys after this? Well, a bit later on, I will be reading a interview that they did and I think I'm going to have to take a few moments before I do that oh boy. because I will start to well up. Okay. Because anything to do with children. Same. I am so emotional. Yeah. Agreed. So, now that we know John is hiding, he started to get very brazen. I think he got bored. We know that he gets bored with things. I think he'll get bored with hiding by now. Mm-hmm. So grew a beard and he went walking outside with a limp okay <laughs> random in the place that everybody knew him wow. he went out for a walk and not only went out for a walk he rejoined his local library wait yeah i didn't even think about that like has he been holed up in that house this entire time like does he go outside is it like covid19 up in there or what <laughs> <laughs> well I'm guessing he stayed hidden for an amount of time. It didn't really clarify how long. And he stayed there until the heat died down. Wow. And he grew a beard because he thought that would disguise him. Walked with a limp because the old John didn't have a limp. And then went out in public. He was actually spotted by one of his tenants who said to him, are you not supposed to be dead? Oh, wow. To which he said, don't say anything to anyone. And unlike the neighbour in the Chris Watts case, this guy didn't want any trouble, so didn't report it. Okay, this is a good time for me to bring up the fact that I'm a tattletale. If anyone, (laughs) if anyone ever, if I ever suspect that you are someone who faked a death, I'm telling the police. So don't tell me any secrets. If you need an alibi, Carly's not your girl. <laughs> I will not provide an alibi. I will tattle on you. I don't want any compensation for it. It's just my... <laughs> I can't keep it in. So don't tell me. Anyway, go on. So, <laughs> <laughs> a 
as well as walking around and rejoining his library, he also looked for another identity because obviously John Darwin is supposed to be dead. So looking online, he searched for babies that had died the year that he was born and he found one called John Jones. Wow. Now, when this family were contacted by the police after all this came out, they was devastated. This baby had died at five weeks old mm -hmm. and they'd mourned, they'd grieved, they'd carried on with life. To then have it ripped apart and brought back into the forefront of their minds yet again by someone who used it for his own selfish needs. That's... It makes me so angry. It's despicable. Like, I, I would say have some respect, but... He doesn't even have respect for his own children, so I'm not surprised. Exactly. So using this new identity, he got a birth certificate for John Jones. He took a picture and had it verified by the librarian at the local library and sent off from his home address for a new passport and it was given to him. Wow. That's scary. Yeah. Especially when, you know, there's a new man called John still applying for a passport at a residence where a man called John has just recently been declared dead. That, like, they didn't even connect the dots. Like, he couldn't even pick a different name. First name. <laughs> <laughs> um... Well, I'm guessing he, he liked John. I guess he did. Why he didn't get bored of John. He must have liked it quite know. a lot. <laughs> it's the only thing he seemed to stick on. Yeah. But in 2004, two years after he disappeared, John and Anne decided they wanted to move abroad. So with this passport, they flew to Cyprus to look at properties and fly back because they don't find what they want, to fly back to the UK. And throughout 2005, John spends a lot of time on the internet. Apparently, he chats to other women, which hmm. not a good thing to do. Mm -mm. He gets spotted in Penzance in Cornwall by an angler and then travels to El Porto de Santa Maria to look at a £45,000, which is $62,059,045. I think that's right. <laughs> I don't think that was right, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I'm, that's okay. I that's want okay. to come to the US, but I'm not. So, <laughs> I am sorry. Anyway, it was a 60-foot catamaran. But he decides he don't want to live on the sea. He died on the sea, so he don't want to live on it. Right, right. Of course. <laughs> so, on the 14th of July, 2006, they fly to Panama to look at properties. And they meet with a property dealer. 
and this is when their photo is taken. Oh, okay. So they fly multiple times back and forth to Panama, to the UK, and they seem to fall in love with the country. They purchase a property in El Dorado for £50,000, which is over $68,000. And they sell the flat that John had hidden in. Now, this flat was in their son's name. So Anne had to persuade him to sell the flat, transfer her the money and say she was looking after it for him. Wow. Again, you've disregarded your son. Right. In regards to their father, you are now robbing them of property that you put in their name. It's like, F you, F you again. (laughs) It's just... (sighs) A little bit aggravating. Yes. So, the next month after that, Anne flies back to the UK alone to sell the family home. And the month after that one, they purchased a £200,000 tropical tropical estate in Escobar, which is over $275,000. So they seem to be having a very flush lifestyle. Sounds like it. Which is aggravating. Mm -hmm. Again, multiple trips are made by John and Anne. And in 2007, in September, Anne was back in the UK at work in County Durham. And a colleague overhears a conversation that Anne is having with John. Now, this colleague knows that John is supposed to be dead. Right. She does the right thing. Yes. She calls the police. This starts a financial investigation into Anne Darwin. It's about time. Yeah, I mean, there's been a few red flags along the way, you know, no one's picked up on them. Yeah. But now there's a financial investigation. Not that Anne knows. So, in October, the family home sells for near enough uh, £300,000 which is $406,000. I am really trying my hardest to do the current Oh no, yeah, I was going to say, that's, that sounds perfect. <laughs> I think last time you said 40000 300000 <laughs> That's the only thing. But other than that, it's been perfect. Go on. <laughs> One day, I'll, I'll know how to... You're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> so Anne leaves for the final time to Panama. She's now living abroad, no more ties to the UK. She does have children, but, you know, they're by the by, you know, don't worry about that. Right. So the couple, now living abroad, decide they want to take another holiday. So they go to a different country. But when they come back, they find that Panama has amended their visa laws And now, any British citizens now need their identities verified by the UK police. John might be in a bit of bother here. Yeah, sounds like it. 
So the couple now have a choice to make. What do they do? So on the 30th of November, Anne buys John a ticket home. And this is when he goes into the police station, says he has amnesia and says he cannot remember the last five years. Okay, so that explains a lot. I honestly, when you first said that, I was thinking this was all a part of the plan. They just wanted to claim. But then again, now that I think about it, that makes sense because if someone claims like insurance from a death and they show up, do they have to give that money back? I'm not too sure on that. I think it's if they have amnesia, then obviously it's it's a bit of a gray yeah. area because if it's true, then who was to know that, you know, where that person was or why they didn't come home? It, it is a very big gray area. But the fact that it was proven, they knew mm-hmm. all along that's when the book came down on them. So on the 30th of March, 2008, John admits to seven charges of obtaining money by deception and a passport offence. He denies nine charges of handling criminal property. Here's the clincher. Anne denies Of course she does. I I mean, I feel like they were both going to deny everything, so I'm kind of surprised that he admits to it. (laughs) I think he was just caught with his mouth down, to be honest. Um, What could he say? Where she was just like, I'm not Yeah, like what? Don't look at me. I'll just Yeah, he faked his amnesia. (laughs) So, because she denied it all, this now led to a lengthy trial. And the poor sons, like they're having to come to these trials and watching their mum lie. Do you know again how old they are at this point? And again, their ages at this point. Um, I mean, like, are they teenagers or kids? Like, no, no. Okay, okay, just show them. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, on the twenty-third of July, both John and Anne are convicted of fraud. John was sentenced to six years, three months, and Anne was sentenced to six years, six Whoa, months. That's, that's interesting. I'm guessing, I'm guessing it was a compulsive liar that ended with her longer, having more time. But honestly, to me, that doesn't even sound like that long. No. I mean, okay, they didn't like, I feel like this was a financial fraud more than anything, but for the you know, mental, like, impact they put on their sons. But I guess that's not breaking the law, unfortunately. Not Yeah, it should be. Let's hope that, I mean, over here, mental abuse is starting to become, you know, domestic abuse does now have mental parts to it. And you can be prosecuted. You should be prosecuted. <laughs> Honestly, but, firm believer. Yeah. Anybody mental mentally abuses someone, you should be. It, it should be illegal in my in my opinion, my perfect world. But any form of totally abuse, agree. If you are hurting someone, you should be yes. prosecuted. But yeah, it's. 
I think they looked at it as a, just a financial matter. They didn't look into the family just being blown apart by a lie. Wow. So during their incarceration and divorces, John, and the Crown Prosecution Service vows that all profits from the fraud made by both parties would be confiscated and returned to the relevant places. So like the prison service pension, the teacher's pension, they would all receive their money back. Okay. Which, mm -hmm. fair point, you know, it was taken without right. being needed. So I'm happy with that. And John and Anne was both ordered to pay back the money they had claimed, plus compensation and legal fees. They was ordered to pay back £675,000, which is over $930,000. So that's a lot of money. Honestly, in my mind, so, they should pay more. <laughs> I know yeah. that sounds awful, but... So after serving less than half their sentence, John's released on probation on the 18th of January 2011 and Anne leaves prison on March the 9th. Now, after leaving prison, Anne settles down into a quiet life and she focuses on rebuilding her relationship with her sons and nothing's really been heard of since. Wow. Now, John, You'll be very surprised to hear, has hit the headlines. Of course he has. He got bored. And again. He got bored. And again. <laughs> so the first time he hit the headlines, he was arrested in December 2013. He's still on probation, which means he's not allowed to leave the country. He takes an unauthorized trip to the Ukraine to meet a 25-year-old oh. girl. Now, John is... I think he was in his 60s at this point. Wow. So, yeah. And then he hits the headlines again in 2014, as it's reported, out of the £675,000 he has to pay back, guess how much One dollar. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit more, £121. Okay. Barely yeah. a dent in the ocean, pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> so he blames this on, he's living on benefits. He's getting paid by the government because he can't find work. And that's such a big thing that I hate to talk about because I was raised to work hard and, you know, yeah, so everything. like how does that work? Do you, if you claim, if you get government benefits and you owe that much money, do you use the government's money to pay the government? Like what? <laughs> no, it's basically if you're getting benefits, they're helping to pay for a place for you to stay, for you to get food. You're basically saying, I haven't got So what money do you use it. to pay back the fees you owe? Well, I'm guessing any spare change oh that is so in three years since he's been released, he's only managed to scrape together £121. Wow. Whereas 
because Anne had bank accounts because of the property um, business, she'd already paid back over £500,000. So she'd found herself a job and she was going to slowly pay off. So it sounds like she kind of learned her lesson. I want to say that, but who knows, right? But let's hope she learned her lesson. I hope sincerely that she had a break in sanity and was swept away by John's vision of a dream life abroad. And that when this all came crashing down, that she realized what she'd done and she decided, I can't do this anymore. I want to be with my sons. I want to make a life here again. And I sincerely hope that she's succeeding in that because prison isn't about a place for people to go and stay. It is about rehabilitation as well. But yeah, people like John make my blood boil. Totally. So he ends up back in court again after this because it's discovered he has two pensions that are about to mature. And when pensions mature, you're allowed to take a lump sum out of it. He is ordered to pay £40,000 to the courts from his pensions. Mm. They're saying to him, you know, you cannot have these pensions and not give us any money back. Mm -hmm. That's not right. And then he was last in the news in 2015 now that he was off probation, he was not liking the fact he was living on benefits and having to pay money to the government and decided he was going to find himself another wife and he's now living in the Philippines with a woman that's 22 years younger. Nice. He's living his best life. Yeah. So this case screams narcissism compulsive lying and the sons to me was the most heartbreaking part and they said to the Daily Mail after their parents had been convicted nothing seems real anymore I can't ever forgive them for putting us through the torture of mourning they were in it together and they deserve the sentences handed down by the judge Dad told one nasty lie and disappeared. She lied for six years. At the moment, I certainly don't want to see her or speak to her. My feelings are often conflicting. I'm happy Dad is alive. Then I think how bitter and annoyed I am again. I thought they were the best parents anyone could ever ask for. But the mother I had loved and respected all my life had gone to outrageous lengths to Connell's. She let us believe Dad was dead. She encouraged us to believe this. At the moment, I want nothing more to do with them. And that statement kills me. I hope they have managed to make amends with them. And I can understand why that would be so hard, right? Like, I mean, yeah, I totally understand, but for their sake, 
especially since she's out of prison, she's trying to get on the right path. It seems to me like Anne is really trying. As for their father, yeah, yeah, and props but as for that. the father, I mean, I he doesn't sound like he's even trying. That no. interview is hard, or that quote is heartbreaking. I, what a complicated position for them to be in. I mean, you don't get to choose your family, so. Not only that, they've seen their parents grow in this business throughout their childhood. They'd had properties put in their name. And from a financial point of view, they thought they had inheritances coming. When their parents go, they've got nothing coming to them because all the money's right. getting paid back. And the fact that their parents have done that to them is what is so hard to fathom because I hope I'm going to leave enough for my child to be secure. I mean, I think every, every, I don't want to say everyone, but most people totally agree. Like, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine it would be, it would have to be some very severe circumstances for me to take away anything that I was right and I think it's important to point out too like I understand and I've seen in my lifetime and I know of of this where people try their best and they still have nothing to leave their children right and this is not a knock against them but in this case they had the means and they took them from their kids that's a very good point. I'm not saying that you are a bad parent if you leave your right. child. But no if you have finances. it and take it, that's another totally different thing. Agreed. That's yeah. a very different matter. It's the fact that their selfish ways took away something that could have been helpful towards after their death. Yeah, and like you, you know? like to believe your and parents care about you beyond life. You know, and I know mine do. <laughs> mine, I know my mom from her grave is going to worry about me, care about me. And, and as a child, you want to believe that for your parents and to think. Oh, yeah, I can. I oh, can yeah. Totally imagine my parents haunting me till I miss it, you know. You know that yeah, exactly. My mother's going to haunt me until I die. So <laughs> come on, we love you. <laughs> I told her to feel free. But. How are you feeling? <laughs> well, feeling Get away from me. I'm freezing. No. <laughs> but I, I, I agree. Like, it's sad because you like, you, you want to believe the best in your parents. You want to see the best in your parents and to know that they had the means to leave them something and they took that from them. That's heartbreaking. To me, hearing from the sons, I do believe that the finance side hasn't even come into yeah. their thoughts. Their main heartbreak came from the shattering of the trust between their parents and themselves. Totally. And nothing can ever fix that. She can only try to salvage what she once had. And it's going to take a long time for them to build up to trust in her even a slight percentage of what they used to. Yeah, I think everyone... But... Yeah, I mean, that is great. And, you know... I think everyone, I hate saying everyone, right? Because it's a generalization, but most people would choose their parent and their relationship with their parent over 
any amount of money. And that's why the money yeah. probably hasn't even entered their minds. I mean, I'm sure it has to this point, but not much, right? Because to me, I would rather trust my parents and love my parents and know that they would do anything for me. They would die for me. They would leave me whatever they can versus, oh my gosh, like she didn't yeah. leave me money. That's awful. You know, it's it's so important. No, as yeah. long as you've got the love of your parents, then that's totally the only is. legacy you need. Like my parents have taught me so much and have helped me to become the person that I am and the mm -hmm. mother that I'm trying to be. And if I don't get left any finances, I don't care. I've got memories that are worth. Oh my gosh, totally. I I come be. from a lower income family and they have shown me, I, sometimes I think without even trying to, but just from living life, they've shown me that wealth is not money. It is the love and the memories and, you know, things like that. So I totally... And that is why these cases that we've spoken about yeah. are all the more heartbreaking. Yeah. Because these people, Chris Watts, John and Anne Darwin, they obliterated that wealth of love yeah. and memories. And that it is, is especially from the empathy it. perspective. You know, like don't <laughs> how it's don't hurt people. Like to us, don't you know how people. hard how hard is that? You know, we may accidentally hurt people sometimes, but this seems so deliberate, so planned, so executed that it's just no concern for these these innocent yeah. children, and it's heartbreaking. Still lighter than Chris Watts, but still heartbreaking. Exactly. So we hope you've enjoyed today's cases, guys. We know you've all been waiting for the first episode to drop. And we thank you yes. so much for waiting. We are so excited um, that you listened and that you guys are looking forward to our cases. This is so exciting for me and Cassie. This is our passion. This is what we love talking about, love learning about. And we really hope that you stay tuned for our next episode. Mm -hmm.